Our response to God's grace should be God and love, the love that can only be generated through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and through the counsel of the Word of God. That is the only way we will live forever. If you don't look to honor and respect God's grace as the Bible teaches us to do so, then God's grace will not have the effect you need it to have in your own life. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about what God's grace really is and how we should respond to Him. There is much confusion today involving what God's grace truly is. Quite frankly, God's true grace is not preached very much, but rather something else that justifies a sinful lifestyle, a taking for granted, something that ultimately creates a misrepresentation of God's grace rather than a true appreciation. And the danger with that is, if God's grace is not treated as it should be treated, then its real power will not be realized in a person's life. Today's message is inspired on the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 to 25. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Blessed Lord, mighty God, the one who was and is and is to come. Hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your love and your grace, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice through him, for the forgiveness of our sins through the Lord. I give you thanks and I praise you, O Lord, because you are good and because your mercy is everlasting, Heavenly Father. Because there is no one like you. Thank you for the way that you treat us, Lord God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray humbly that you please forgive me. And I pray humbly now, Lord God, that I may be useful to you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your guidance. I pray for your power. And I pray, O Lord God, that you may open our hearts and minds to your word. In everything, that your name may be glorified forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be reading today from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 to 25. This is the word of the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator." who is blessed forever. Amen. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ about? 
What is this gospel that the Apostle Paul spoke about that he is not ashamed of? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan of salvation from God to all mankind. It is God's testament of love to all of us. There is nothing greater in the universe than what God did through Jesus Christ. It is quite immeasurable. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He tries to express some sort of volume that needs to be understood. It's not really a mathematical equation. It's just his expression that it is something that needs to be measured somehow, that it needs to be learned, not in an intellectual kind of way, but rather in a more profound and in-depth manner. That's why he says that this love of Christ passes all knowledge. It goes beyond man's reasoning. But when you come to start to understand its vastness, then you will start to be filled with the fullness of God. It is not easy to understand, but we will attempt to explain it in such a way so that you can begin to learn to appreciate God's true grace if you haven't done so yet. What we first need to start is to look at the verse that most people know. If you have seen American football games, there's usually a sign in the sands towards one of the end zones that says John 3.16. That's how common knowledge this Bible verse is, at least here in the United States. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. What does this love mean? We have to go back further into the past, to the time that Adam and Eve were in the world before sin came into the picture of the Garden of Eden. God did not create man so that man could fall. God did not intend for man to be corrupted. He did, however, make man with free will, with the power to choose his own path. And how can we tell that this is so? The Bible says in Genesis that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God did not hide anything from man. He gave him access to anything and everything that was in the garden. Man had access to every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And he also gave him access to the tree of life. And of course, he also gave him access to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God gave man complete freedom. God made man so that man could live and enjoy everything that was made through the person of Jesus Christ. But what happened? The devil came into the picture and tempted Eve, and she fell. And then Adam fell. They did not heed God's warning that the day that they would eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. They believed more the devil's temptation than God's loving instruction. Some might say, why did God have this forbidden tree in the garden? Why expose man to that potential problem? And the answer is because God treated man as an equal, because he loved man. God was never in the business of making robots or programmed beings. Because God is love, he made man with the ability to choose to have free will. It wasn't a mistake. There was no evil plan behind it. God treated mankind in a special manner. But man ignored God and his advice. Man unfortunately saw or believed something that was not true. 
God said that man would die. The devil told man that he wouldn't die. And man ultimately sinned against God out of their own free will because Satan did not force man to disobey God. He didn't put a gun to man's head per se. All he did was just entice man a little bit and contradicted the Lord. That's it. And here we can see this mystery of iniquity that just does not make sense. Why would man put more trust and or give more credence to some sort of thing that was lurking around that he owed nothing to? Why in the world would man pay more attention to a being that did nothing for him? These are questions we should ask ourselves because these questions can also help us meditate before going ahead with any kind of decision in life, especially by paying attention to the source of where we're getting some sort of direction and or advice from. And what's more puzzling is, why choose for the tree of knowledge of good and evil than choosing for the tree of life? Now, why is it important to see this first piece of where sin came into the picture? We can blame Adam and Eve all we want, but we have all sinned against God out of our own free will. We tend to obey more our fallen nature and or favor very questionable sources rather than listen to God. It is easier for the devil to entice people to sin against God than to heed God's word. And this is the painful truth, since most people are more prone to listening to and obeying Satan's lies then that would constitute that they belong more to him than to the Lord. The Bible explains in Ephesians chapter 2 the following, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Before coming to Christ, this was our past. This was who we were. No one has anything to be proud of. This is where some people still are when they have not yet repented and converted from all their sins and have not yet come to accept Jesus as the Lord of their lives. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. This prince of the power of the air is no one other than the devil. He is the prince of this world. That's who you follow when you follow the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says this, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When you don't belong to the Lord and you don't choose to follow him, then you are his enemy. That's the truth. And what constitutes you further being God's enemy is when you follow the world's direction because the world follows Satan. That was our condition. We were not in a bad place just because we were part of a fallen world with a fallen nature. We were in enmity with the Lord because we were following Satan himself when we were following our sinful nature, when we were giving in to his deceit and to his lies, whether you did it on purpose or not. That's where we all were before Christ came into our lives. And there is where we can start to see and understand God's great love. Even though we were his enemies by following Satan and his desires, God still sent his son into this world so that we could all be saved, so that we could all have the opportunity to be reconciled with him. And he did all of this as a gift. I still find this very hard to understand, this level of goodness God has shown mankind. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve to die for our sins. We have earned death with our sins, whether there were few or many. That was all we deserved because we sinned against God and chose to obey Satan and constitute ourselves enemies of God out of our own free will. That was our story. That was our reality. Yet God, out of love, out of his own free will, he gave us the gift of salvation, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that he could take our place in the cross and pay our penalty, ultimately paying for our sins. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for his sins because he was sinless. He was perfect. He died for our sins. What we need to understand so that we can begin to value what God did is the sacrifice itself. This is something that also goes beyond any kind of human understanding, at the very least, my own understanding. God gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, his most loved and treasured relationship so that we could be saved. So what really took place? I'm hoping that I'm speaking to a group of people that have some sort of natural ability to love someone else because I have to say this world is truly lacking any kind of love. It's a very selfish world. Most people only like others and not necessarily love because there is certainly a lot of lust out there, but not much love. And of course, there is something out there that people say that is love, but it is only a moral deviation and abomination according to the Bible. Let's pretend for a moment you have a loved one, the person you mostly love out of the whole world. And because you love that person, you don't want to ever see that person suffer. It hurts you deeply when you see them hurt or when you see them cry. You feel their pain when you sense they are in pain. And God forbid something bad happens to them and you do not have the ability to help them you can't to change their circumstances. No matter how hard you try, you can't change anything. You can only sit there and observe and watch them go through whatever they're going through. I can tell you that outside of feeling pain, it is the greatest feeling frustration you could ever feel when you see that everything you do has no effect and or you just can't do anything to help them. If you have felt that before, I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about. Now, let's look at what God went through because he loved us. We already explained that even though we were his creation, we turned on him and we became his enemies. That's bad enough as it is. But let's understand this now. God is the Almighty. He can do anything. Yet, He gave His Son and allowed for Him to be born into this earth to take our likeness, to take on our flesh. His only begotten Son was treated completely unfairly and unjustly. He was arrested for saying the truth. Jesus Christ healed the sick, freed the prisoner, fed the multitudes, and even raised the dead. Yet, what was the reward man gave him? He was wronged beyond measure. Now, this was not Satan's doing, mind you. If you're trying to think that Satan was to blame for his death, quite frankly, Satan was taken out of this process. John chapter 12 says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. And so this ruler of the world that was cast out was Satan. He was not allowed to be involved with the sacrifice in any kind of way. Everything wrong that was done to the Son of God was done by man and man alone. Man reviled Jesus Christ. Man accused Jesus falsely. Man imprisoned Jesus. Man beat and tortured and mocked and spit on and crowned him with thorns and made him carry a cross and nailed him to that same cross and ultimately killed the Son of God. Do not attempt to blame the Jews and that it was all their fault. We were all very well represented through that act because there were all kinds of people there. There were both Jews and Gentiles. And while all of this was happening, God the Father had to sit there and watch and just see all of this happen. And the worst part of it all, when his son needed him the most, the father had to turn his back on him when the Lord took upon himself the sin of the world. We see this when Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God could have changed everything for his son in an instance. He could have made it all stop, but he didn't. Why? How could he do such a thing? Why would a perfect God allow for something so awful to happen to his most loved one? Because for an instant, God loved us to the point of sacrificing his only begotten son. This is the only way we could be saved. This can be said in words, but for it to be understood, if you really understood what happened, that is much more difficult. That is the depth of God's love for mankind. That is the measure of his grace and his mercy and his love. Truth be told, I could not do this. I don't have the capacity nor the ability to exercise such restraint and to go through or rather have my most loved one relationship go through anything like this. I just can't do it. Yet, that is what God did for us all. This is why it is just not biblical to teach people that they can take advantage and or disrespect such grace, such love, and justify their rebellion, their disobedience with the notion that God is all loving and that he is forgiving and that it is okay to just do whatever you want and that there is no judgment and or consequence for those who decide to trample the blood of Christ and mock the love of this omnipotent being with the gospel that perverts the meaning of God's grace. Now, are we going to be perfect when following Christ? No. Will we sin after surrendering our lives to Jesus? Yes, we will still sin, but that doesn't mean that we can just sin willfully to the point that we abuse God's grace and attempt to use God's love as a license to sin and to try to justify rebellion and the practice of sin. There is judgment when God's grace is abused. God will judge his people when there is a desire to live a sinful lifestyle, when there is a desire to take God's grace and forgiveness for granted. This is what is written in Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law 
dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Romans chapter 6 also says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Galatians chapter 5 also says the following, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And finally, Hebrews chapter 6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good work of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. We simply should never attempt to abuse God's grace. We cannot live our lives according to the world. We cannot take this great salvation for granted. The sacrifice that God made through Jesus Christ is not a joke, nor something to be mocked and disrespected. God will simply not stand for it. And so, what should be our response to such grace shown through the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should learn to correspond to this great love and not to look what we can get away with. We need to abandon the world's ways and live according to the Lord that bought us with His blood, with His own life. Ultimately, we should learn how to love Him as He deserves to be loved. 1 John chapter 4 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The whole law is fulfilled in this looking to return God's unmerited love and grace in the following. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our response to God's grace should be God love, the love that can only be generated through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and through the counsel of the Word of God. That is the only way we will live forever. If you don't look to honor and respect God's grace as the Bible teaches us to do so, then God's grace will not have the effect you need it to have in your own life. I don't know 
if you have understood today's message. I hope you have. I hope you have come to learn a little bit more about what God did for you and for me because he loves you. If you are a Christian, I hope you will learn to love him and to grow in obedience and to never lose sight of what he did for you, especially if you have come to experience this divine grace we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if by any chance you have not yet come to experience God's grace, his salvation through the Lord, or if it has not become yet real to you, I urge you to make that decision today. Don't leave for tomorrow what needs to be done today, right now. The day of salvation is today. The day of repentance is today. The opportunity to experience God for yourself is today. I urge you, for your own good, to surrender your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Stop being God's enemy. Stop following the devil's lies and allow for God to free you eternally. Don't follow a master that only wants death and destruction for you. Follow the Lord that came to give you life that you may have it abundantly. I invite you right now to make a decision to follow and surrender to the God that loves you so deeply and so true. Even though you may be his enemy, he still loves you and he wishes to pour upon you his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may experience his grace and have eternal life. Before the throne of God, there can still be found grace and mercy and love for those that turn away from their sinful ways, from the world's ways, and look to follow the Lord and learn to love this God that loves you so much. This God does not want your destruction. He wants to save you, to love you, to restore you, to change your life, to change your destiny from death to eternal life. And so, if you do not know the Lord yet, come to know Him today. If you want to surrender your life to the Lord, pray this prayer with me with all of your heart, confessing it with your mouth. Pray like this, Lord God, please forgive me for all of my sins. I want to turn away from them and convert to you. I believe with all of my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord, my God, and my Savior. That he died for me on the cross and that he was buried. But you, Father, raised him from the dead at the third day. I want the Lord Jesus in my heart. I surrender my life completely to him. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.